So uh, tonight we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, today we are in chapter two. We're starting out in chapter two. Uh, and this week I will obviously be here. Next week I will be out of town. I'm going to a conference in Texas. So um, there will be another individual covering for me next week. But tonight uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter two, verses one through five. Uh, and we labeled the, the, the sermon series, Hi, My Name Is, and then you would insert your name, and I struggle with depression. Uh, we labeled it this, uh, my team and I sat down, we talked about this, is because every person at one point in time goes through bouts of depression, goes through bouts of sadness, and can identify with this in one way, shape, or form or the other. And the severities and the extremes of this uh, ebbs and flows depending but the subtitle of this is Combating Depression's Darkness with Community's Light. So the purpose in tonight is we are unpacking God's Word, uh, and as we're looking at this chapter and we're looking at this passage, is we're going to be identifying a few things. This is going to be slightly different than how we normally do it, but we're still going to be unpacking this verse, is we're going to be looking at three different methods and three different ways in which we identify depression, then also how can we combat this and how can we move forward from this? Uh, there's a lot of psychology out there these days. There's a lot of other approaches that can happen. But truly, what I see here in this passage here is uh, Paul's addressing the church in Philippi, and he is encouraging them in their Christian duties on how it is we need to be living our lives and conduct in light of God, and then how and what does that look like played out within our community, and how we use that to help each other in combating sadness and depression. So I'll be uh, reading uh, from the ESV, and it should be up on the screen here. We're going to read through verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, if you have a Bible and you have a highlighter, if you've got the app on your phone, here's a few key words I want you to underline that we're going to be using these throughout tonight's message. The first word is encouragement. You see there in verse one, it pops out real quickly. We're going to be looking at encouragement. And encouragement in this context of this verse, it is used to convey consolation or refreshment. And we're going to be unpacking exactly what that looks like here in a little bit. The next word is comfort. This word, uh, the definition of this word within the context is speaking with calmness or being consoling in your demeanor or within your nature. Speaking with calmness or consoling. Have you ever spoken with someone in a very hectic, chaotic situation, and then all of a sudden a person comes in, brings the mood down. It's like, hey, 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 what's going on? Let's talk this out. I do that with my kids most of the time when they realize that they're eating something for dinner that they don't want. And I have to come in there and I have to calm them down a little bit and console with them and say, no, your mom is a very good cook. You're lucky you get to eat this food. And then we adjust fire and move forward from there. The next, the next word is participation. This word uh, is derived through the, the Greek word koinonia, and we've actually talked about it in the past. And what this is talking about, participation in the Spirit, is talking about sharing with someone in something. And you're going to see what that looks like here in a little bit. And then the next word I want you to underline is affection. This word affection is conveying a heart that is full of mercy towards others. And then the last word I want us to identify as we're going to continue on here is the word sympathy. 
The word sympathy, and obviously we can all come to an understanding of what that is, but the word in this context means compassion, an appeal of emotion towards someone's situation. So I want you to have this in your frame of mind as we continue on throughout this passage because the whole thing we're talking about tonight is how are we to combat depression and what does that look like through a Christian lens and through the model and what we see here that the Apostle Paul is uh, conveying to us. Now, what also this is talking about is that our demeanor, how we behave with each other, how we interact with each other is not just a command, but it is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to follow the practical applications that we're going to be surmising and drawing out of this text. But I want to start off first with the first topic is identifying depression. Uh, that is a blanket word that is used in an ambiguous way where you're not quite sure exactly what's talking about. And I, I've done a lot of research with this uh, in the years past with uh, situations and stuff that have arisen in mental health uh, is really what depression can be confined underneath. And there was a research study done actually fairly recently called The Connected Generation. This was Barna's largest statistical study that they did. And the data was specifically catered and tailored towards anxiety and depression. If you Google right now anxiety and depression, 90% of what you're going to be coming up with is COVID-related individual stuff and everything else like that. And this study was done just in this time frame. And here's what the study showed. 49% of 18 to 35-year-olds expressed anxiety of making decisions or coming to a decision. 39% of these individuals polled said that they often felt sad or depressed. 34% identified that they were lonely and isolated from others. So I've boiled depression down into these three different points that we see here out of this study about anxiety towards decisions, depression, and isolation that's also coupled with sadness. So those are the three main topics we're going to be talking about in the passage here in Philippians really helps us come to an understanding of how can we move forward with this and how can we help out each other through this time of depression. Now, the definition of depression is a common and serious medical issue in illness that can negatively affect how you feel, the way you think, and specifically the way in which you act. Now, some signs and symptoms, if you're not sure exactly what depression looks like, is feelings of sad or having a depressed mood, a loss of interest or pleasure in activities that you would typically find interest in, uh, trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, uh, a loss of energy or increased fatigue, feeling worthless or guilty, difficulty thinking, concentrating, or making decisions. Now, in order for you to maintain or to receive a clinical diagnosis of depression, you have to have these signs and symptoms for at least a minimum of two weeks for you to actually seek outside help through a medical diagnosis for them to actually treat you. Now, with that, though, I think it's important for us to make a few distinctions within this because a lot of those signs and symptoms, I feel like we can feel and can combat on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, there's levels of the sadness and there's levels of the depression. And one thing that we need to understand is that there is symptoms that can mimic actual medical-conditioned depression. And a lot of those symptoms is... Thyroid issues, obesity issues, vitamin issues, and potentially even brain tumors. So we're not going to be talking in the medical realm of a diagnosis of depression, but what we're going to be talking about is the time leading up that can get you into this form of depression in which you do need to have a medical diagnosis and you do need to seek outside help and care and counsel. 
Now, what's interesting too about this is that in all of the U.S., depression affects one in 15 adults. That's 6.7% of the population in any given year. That's a resounding amount of depression-faced individuals. One in six will experience depression at some time in their life. That's 16.6%. The largest time, this is a startling statistic that I think you guys can all identify. The largest time in which depression begins to take hold is in the late teens to early 20s. And if you think about that, it's because think about the huge transitional life that you are living, going from high school, potentially being underneath the care and feeding of your family, and then all of a sudden now you're moving into what you would be considered adulthood, where you're kind of off on your own for the most part, and you're kind of having to make decisions on your own, and you're making decisions and you're failing, and you may or may not have family right there to come alongside you and help you out. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Now, women are more likely than men to experience depression. And in fact, a third of women will experience a major depressive episode in their lifetime. And there's a high probability through hereditary genetic testing and everything else that 40% have been diagnosed with depression based off of a connection with a first degree relative. So there's a lot of other caveats and there's a lot of other conditions that we can find within depression. And we're not gonna have time for us to go into detail on those tonight. But what we will be talking about is some practical principles and applications for us to kind of identify sadness and depression and for us to kind of stop this cycle as we continue to move forward. Now, one thing I want to identify real quick is being sad is not the same as being depressed, right? There is a big distinguish that we need to make sure because there's times in which we feel sad and our emotions are dictating this and we feel depressed, but that doesn't actually mean that we are in a physical state of depression. Now, what does this look like? So a situation, a loss of a loved one or something else like that. Sadness, this is how sadness would react to that kind of a situation. The feelings come in waves, often intermixed with positive memories of the deceased. Depression is the mood and interests are decreased consistently for two weeks, and there's no high points, there's only low negativity, right? So sadness is you're kind of in these peaks and valleys, you're in these highs and your lows, you can get kind of positive, but then you get back negative, and you can kind of come back and forth like that. And what we're going to be talking about is how we as Christians need to come into this cycle, if you will, and we've got to stop that, and we're going to unpack that here in a second. Within sadness, your self-worth and esteem is actually maintained. Negative thoughts may occur, but you are able to redirect your mind at times to focus outside of the situation that's happening and to focus and pinpoint on another goal or something in which you're trying to do outside of your current situation. Depression, however, leads to feelings of worthlessness, self-loathing, and undeserving. And I think often we, we kind of separate sadness and depression and in ways in which you can be say, separating sadness and depression, but sometimes sadness and depression can be working in together, and this can couple for a horrific event or a tragic time, a natural disaster, or something that is not normally happening, that is outside of the ordinary. When this happens, that elevates the feeling of anxiety and grief, and this can get you into a prolonged time of a state of depression. But the reason why I'm saying this is it's important for us to identify, our, am I facing a time of sadness, or am I facing an actual deep depression in which I, I need help? So ask yourself in the context of relativity to your situation, whatever the thing is that you're feeling depressed about, whatever it is that you're feeling sad about, here's some questions you need to ask yourself. Is it normal for, for people to feel this way about the situation that has occurred? That's one question. The next one, is this affecting me more than what it ought to? I know oftentimes there are situations that arise and I just am just burdened and I am sad and I ask myself, 
is this affecting me more than it actually needs to? And sometimes I can identify that and I can kind of move away and get myself out of this thought pattern and move forward. But sometimes you may not be able to identify that. Do I seem hopeful that I will move past this situation or move past this problem? What are those close to me saying about this particular situation? Am I slowly moving away from my typical life and my pattern of behavior and reclusing myself and trying to draw back and draw back and starting to cut off relationships? Have I gone through something like this before? Are there any good days or am I primarily only having bad days? A traumatic event will happen, a traumatic event will occur and we can move past it and then all of a sudden you're back into a bad day and then you have your good day and you have your bad day. Do my good days outweigh my bad days? The common problem leading to sadness and depression is this is what it is. Self-isolation leads to depression and depression pushes you deeper into self-isolation. Think about that. Self-isolation leads you into depression, cutting yourself off from your friends, cutting yourself off from your community, pushing other people away. That will lead you into a state of depression and that depression will push you into a deeper form of self-isolation. The reason why there's been a huge uptick within depression and sadness and anxiety is due to the COVID-19 quarantines and all of these social interactions that we are hardwired to have are no longer happening. And it's much different for us to be connecting with individuals through a screen than it is for us to be connecting with individuals on a person-to-person basis. When my wife and I were, when I was deployed and she was stateside and we were FaceTiming, that is not the same as me physically being in the presence of my wife. I'm sorry. And if that was the same, then there's issues with that, right? So having face-to-face interaction with individuals is not the same as having screen time with each other. Now, I've got this picture of this failing cycle that happens within the cycle of depression. So if you look at this, and it doesn't start in any particular way, but each one builds upon itself and can create this self-spiraling, self-reflecting, inward-looking, only staying within yourself, and it can have multiple entry points here. This is the cycle of depression, and this is how this works. You have self-isolation, Self-isolation, cutting myself off from everybody, not having people being encouraging to me, not having personal self-interactions, not having any kind of physical contact with anybody. Then it moves into sadness. Well, why aren't I having fun with anybody? Why isn't anybody reaching out to me? Why is this and this and this? Well, you've been cutting yourself off. You've been making these distances. You've been moving away. You keep moving away. And that sadness starts to creep in and you're still only consistently reflecting on yourself which leads you to a state of depression. Self-isolation, emotional isolation, an unwillingness or inability to share your feelings with others. This is self-isolation. You're isolating yourself emotionally. You're unwilling or you're unable to share your feelings with other individuals. You're lacking in emotional interaction and support. You have no one there because you've been cutting them off. You've been moving away from them. You're feeling emotionally numb. You're having dread in social activities. Now, granted, there is a level of which people are just not wired to have social interactions, such as if I was asked some of you to come up here and just start talking, you would have dread. And you would not want to do that. That's fine. That's normal. You identify that. But there's a difference, though, when you're facing into a type of self-isolation where that is starting to become a behavioral trait and a behavioral pattern. You're canceling plans frequently and feeling relief when plans are canceled. 
Now, when COVID was happening, I saw this meme going around. It's introverts anytime that self-quarantine is happening. And they're like, oh, darn, I can't go. And I see people making jokes about self-isolation or canceling plans and stuff like that. That's not healthy. There's one thing if you don't want to hang out with somebody, but there's another thing if there are people that you want to be spending time with and relationships with, but you are purposefully going out of your way to not want to go and hang out or to go and connect with them. Now, what's interesting too, within the world of self-isolation, there was a medical study, and I was reading through this journal the other day, and it's the Journals of Gerontology, and it's from Newcastle University, that says that there's a direct link between self-isolation and serious medical conditions. Specifically, this study was done in relativity to old people within the nursing homes. I know my grandma was stuck in a nursing home, and I saw my Nana's health just drop, just plummet. Because she was a social interaction creature, but because of COVID, she was shoved into a room where no one could see her, no one could talk to her, she couldn't go out, and this self-isolation severely increased a lot of serious medical illnesses within herself. So the setting for self-isolation, this is the breeding ground for sadness to creep in, for depression to creep in, and the increase of anxiety. Self-isolation creates a repetitive thought cycle that begins at your inadequacies and ends at your failures. Now think about this. When I just said that, it begins at your inadequacies and ends at your failures. Where is the failing point? The failing point is within yourself. The biggest issue of self-isolation, depression, anxiety, and sadness is you are only looking in at yourself the entire time of everything that you're going through. This is called self-pity. This is me reflecting and looking. And the more in which I'm looking in, the more upset I'm getting, the more anxious I'm getting, the more sad I'm getting. And it's always looking within yourself and you're never breaking out of this inward look and looking back out at what it is that we should be doing. And here's the other problem with all of this. And the Apostle Paul's directing this and we're about to get back to the text. I had to lay the groundwork here. Is that each one of us are responsible for each other's help. Each one of us are responsible to make personal interactions and connections with each other. Because if each one of us is continually looking within ourselves, how on earth is any of us going to help break that cycle or break that chain within each other? It's not going to happen. You may be saying, but Ethan, don't we have the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely you do. But guess what? There's been so many commands throughout Scripture about church community, about us interacting with each other, that that is the command that we have been giving, and we need to be stepping up as Christians and doing our due diligence and actually obeying what the Word of God says to interact with each other this way. The Holy Spirit in Christ has told us what to do. We're not doing it, and we have to start doing this. If all of us continue to build self-isolation towers with all these walls and everything else, no one is going to be helping each other. Everyone is going to be in this downward self-depression cycle. Eventually, everyone will be in that take, but we are called as Christians to come out of this. So the next point is, how do we combat this? Combating the depression cycle. The Apostle Paul beautifully unpacks this in verses 2 and 3. Look at this. This is how we can combat the depression cycle. Verses two to three. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Did you catch that right there? That is the answer to what I was talking about, about your inadequacies, your failures, leading to sadness, leading to depression, leading to self-isolation. When if we can stop and we can... Heed the word of God and what the Apostle Paul is saying is, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look at how this verse tells us how we ought to be thinking, how we should be acting, and how we should be behaving as Christians. Christians are not supposed to be independent of one another. We are not supposed to be independent, autonomous creatures not working together. And the Bible blatantly pushes against that thought process of us being self-isolation towers. Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. Look at this. This is what the psalmist says. Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in what? Unity. When brothers dwell in unity. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, this is why we cannot only be looking at ourselves and thinking that we're the best thing out there. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are members of each other. And if you look at this verse, it is very clear about how we are supposed to be interacting with each other all the time. And that is not just me coming up to you and just saying, pray for you today. That's a great start. But this is us getting to know each other, us talking to each other, us assessing each other. If you know that I'm having a bad day because you see me up here and I come up on the pulpit, you will clearly see when I'm not having a good day because it's, you're gonna, you know what happy Ethan looks like. You, some of you know what mean or angry Ethan looks like, right? And some of you who came to the Wanda dance saw what dancing Ethan looks like, right? So you saw three different types of me, but if you don't actually know me, look at me, observe me, interact with me, talk with me, how on earth are you ever going to see if my demeanor shifts, because the biggest thing with sadness and depression is a lot of us want to hold it into ourselves and we don't want anyone to see it because we don't want people to think less of us if they know that I struggle with depression or if I struggle with anxiety or if I struggle with all these things. I don't want people to think less of me. That's me thinking inwardly again, which drives me again into a deeper form of self-isolation when here it clearly says in Romans 12, we are one body in Christ and individually we are members of this. We are members of one another. Now, how do we fix this? So that same cycle that we had, that circle, here's how we can break this cycle. And the great thing about this, and it sounds like a simple fix, but I promise you, it is not as simple as you think that it is. Like I said, there's multiple entry points for how it can lead you into a spiral of depression. But we as a church body can break that cycle with our community. It can stop Depression leading to self-isolation or it can stop self-isolation leading into sadness or sadness into depression through community, through true biblical church community. And the Bible clearly identifies what that looks like. And the Apostle Paul is unpacking that. If you look back at verse 2 of Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full of cord of one mind. Anytime that you see any writer in the Bible repeat a word, you need to highlight that. You need to underline that. When you see the thematic elements of this scripture saying, same, same, mind, love, full accord, underline that. Now, here's what's interesting. When you see the word full accord, what this means, it's incredible. If you look at the Greek, it's, I parse this out. You have the first portion of this, so it's sumsukos. The first part, sin, means together, S-Y-N. Sukos is the place of life and breath for the individual. So think about this. When it says full accord, what it is saying is we're supposed to be living together in the life-giving elements of what makes us unique. And what makes us unique is by we were made in the image of God. 
And when we are called into the church body, Romans was saying, we are individual members of the whole body. We live together in full accord with one mind in the spirit. We can combat sadness and depression, each one of us, by recognizing others instead of myself. So often we get up, we look in the mirror. And why do you look in the mirror in the morning? Like ask yourself, why do you look in the mirror? Why I want to not look stupid. You know, if I've got toothpaste on my chin, I don't want to walk out with toothpaste on my chin. But why do you care? You don't actually see yourself all throughout the day, correct? It's because other people are seeing you, right? So in one instance, we are so concerned with the way that others perceive us on our outward appearance, but I'd never allow anyone to actually see what's happening on the inward side of me because I'm being selfish. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about is doing nothing from selfish ambition, Oftentimes when we look at that phrase and we see do nothing from selfish ambition, we assume and we think that's like, oh, I need to be selfless. I need to help this and this. And yes, that's true. But at the same time, why are you not talking to each other when you have difficulties, when you have pains, when you have hurt, when you have trials? It's because you're being selfish. And again, being selfish means that I'm looking within myself, correct? Which is in that pattern of sadness, self-isolation and depression. So what does this look like? practically to combat depression, sadness, and self-isolation. Look at verse one. We should encourage one another in Christ. We should comfort each other, show sympathy and compassion to others in the situations they face. How many times have you come into an interaction with someone like, I just lost my job. Oh man, that's awful. Did you see that Braves game? Why? Someone just clearly called out because they're hurting. They've got something they're working through. And I'm not showing any sympathy or compassion to them. Sympathy and compassion is not pandering to them like, oh, that's awful, that's bad. Man, do you need help? Do you need a job? Can I help you out? What, what is it that I can do for you? And you are looking at their needs before you're looking at yourself and whatever it is that you want to talk to. Most of the time when you're talking to individuals, most of the time typically people are just waiting for you to stop talking so they can say whatever it is that they want to say. How about you push brakes on whatever this, your thought process is. If someone's revealing something that they're dealing with and you actually ask them, what's going on? Can I help you? Is there something else that you need? Right? That's what we need to be doing. That's just in verse one. Let's look at verse two. Each person is responsible for behaving in this manner. We need to be genuinely caring about someone else before ourselves. Now, here's what's interesting. Psychologists state uh, at Christmas time that gift giving there's a huge uptick in positivity within the mind. They say that gift giving makes people feel good about themselves because they know if I give you a gift, I know eventually you're going to feel obligated to give me a gift. The reason why you do something is because you're expecting something in return. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. I'm supposed to be reaching out and connecting with my brothers and sisters and expect nothing in return other than I genuinely care about you and want to help you out through this time. I want to help you out through what it is that you're going through. That is not being selfish. That is not being inward reflecting. That is me prioritizing someone else over myself. And that is a huge way in which we can combat this. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a big verse. We didn't have enough space on here. So I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because as we combat depression, and we all go through self-isolation, and we all feel sad, this verse gives me an encouragement. This verse helps me.
Because if we are children of God, right, we have the community to help us. But at the same time, there's a stark promise here that Paul reminds the church in Corinth that is still pertinent to us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read through verses 7 to 18. But we have this treasure, salvation, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What is that saying right there? God is in control. God's got this. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. But look at this. We're afflicted, meaning we're facing problems. We're facing sadness. We, are, we will be facing this stuff. But here's the, here's the promise. I love this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, confused, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us and with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is this verse saying? This verse is telling us that the Christian's hope is not in the here and now. The Christian knows and understands that we are going to go through this stuff. We will go through pain. We will go through suffering. We will go through all of this because this world has fallen and sin is domineering this world. And the wages of sin is death. We understand that. But there's hope for the Christian. We know that when we pass from this life into the next, we are at the right hand of the Father. We know that this is not all that there is. We know that there is a hope yet to come. There's a promise that we will be receiving and that is through Jesus and that is through his son. We understand that there are things that are temporary. We understand that the problems we're going through are temporary. So let me speak to you. If you have been clinically and medically diagnosed with depression, God has allowed you to have this, but God has not allowed you to have this by yourself. You need to share this with your church community. You need to share this with your brothers and sisters so we can help you through this. Now I'm going to get practical here in the Psalms here in a little bit. But what I want to let you know is that when we understand that this is transit, I'm going to be dealing with this clinical depression, but it's only going to be temporary because I know though, when I pass from here, I will be in my glorified body. For some of us, it's a medical mental health issue. For some of us, it's a physical health issue. Either way, we have these afflictions, but they are temporary and they are transient. And as a Christian, our hope is not in the here and now. Our hope is yet to come because of who we have living inside of us and who is renewing us day by day. And this verse is so encouraging for me because it shows me that God is not going to completely crush us and not give us any hope. It also tells me that God is in control and God is sovereign over everything in my life. 
And if I understand I can give over my power and I can give over the control and accept that God is actually in control of everything that is happening, even if I may not understand it, I have to know that God is working all things through him. Philippians 1.6, we talked about this several weeks ago. He who began a good work in you will what? See it until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. God is in control. It's so hard for us though to wrap our minds around, but why me? Why this? I wish I had the answers. We don't know. What it is that we do know is that God has called us into a relationship with him. What we do know is that there's a life after this. And what we do know is that if we accept and believe in Jesus Christ, that we have a hope. We have a future because we have a savior. So as we look at this and we're looking at practical ways of combating this, be encouraged, Christian, with this verse in 2 Corinthians. Now let's go back to verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. That is a very difficult thing for us to do, especially when it comes to admitting your failures, especially when it comes to admitting your problems to others. What if people don't want to hear me? What if people think I'm different because I tell them I have this? What if people find out that I'm on this medication? What if people think differently of me because I'm battling with this? Guess where your focus is? It's on you. And Christian, if you don't think that you're battling with this and God's moved you through this and you don't have that issue, guess what your responsibility is? To come alongside the individual that has that and to help them along and do not judge them because they have that. If you stop, if you start dying to self and stop elevating self, if you don't have any of these issues, you can start helping out those who do have these issues. If you are the one who does have these issues, you need to allow the other individual, you need to be vulnerable and allow them to try and help you. That is what it means to be one body and many members. We are supposed to be doing life together. And if I consistently cut people out of my life and expect that I can figure this out on myself, you're failing. And again, you're probably saying, but Ethan, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the scriptures. Absolutely. God has revealed in his word what it is that we as Christians should be doing. So why aren't we doing it? This is what God's word has said for us to do as Christians. We are supposed to be doing this. But why isn't the spirit doing this? He's telling us what to do. It's our responsibility to step out and to actually do it. It's mind-blowing when you think about it, but that is what and how the spirit works is through the revealed will of God. It's through what God has revealed to us in the scriptures through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the members and the men who wrote this book. And if God has revealed the will through the power of the Holy Spirit through the scripture, and we are reading that is how the Holy Spirit is working in me to be convicted to go out and help other people. That's how the Holy Spirit's working. Could the Holy Spirit supernaturally come into you, flutter you up, and then make you perfect? Yes, But when does that allow the Christian to step out on obedience to actually do the Christian duty in helping each other? That's like a pastor coming up here and saying, why doesn't the Holy Spirit teach them the Bible? He's elected men to deliver God's word to the people. So the way in which a pastor delivers God's word, the way in which a teacher delivers education It happens through the means and the medium of man that God has allowed us the opportunity to partake in his redemptive plan. And the redemptive plan also includes Christians having community and working together. This is what it looks like. So, point three, how are we to move forward? So we've identified depression. We realize how we're supposed to combat this and now we want to move forward. Look at verse four. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look at that. Have this mind among yourselves. Have what mind? Have the mind of looking to others' interests, not your own. Looking at the interests of others. Why? This is yours in Christ Jesus. We must be looking outward and not inward. When we look inward, we restart that cycle I showed you earlier. And it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to break that cycle without some kind of intervention. And typically what that intervention is, and it's a person-on-person intervention to step in to help pull someone out of that. But guess what? I don't know if I can step in and help you if you don't let me know that there is something that I can help you with. If you're sitting on the side of the road because you ran out of gas, I pull over, hey, are you okay? No, I'm good. I keep going. I'm not going to know you're out of gas. I'm going to assume you're just being weird and chilling on the side of the highway. But if you're sitting on the side of the highway and I happen to have an extra tank of gas in the back of my truck, and you say, hey, actually, I could use some gas. I'm going to sit there. You let your vehicle run out of gas? How dare you? I'm going to pull over and be like, oh, yeah, let me help you out with that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you got to just unload and just dump into someone and be like, I'm dealing with... Hey, I'm dealing with depression. I am sad all the time. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Can you help me? Yes, I want to help you. And when I say that, and when someone says that to you, that's not you being like, oh, and then walking away. It's your responsibility as a believer to stop what you're doing. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He didn't go out of his way. He stopped and to help. Even if he couldn't even identify with the same Gen, not gender, but religion and also ethnicity of this individual, he stopped and helped anyway. We have got to help each other because when we are consistently looking inward and you know if you're struggling with this, you know that that cycle's coming. And sometimes, especially if you deal with this, seasonal depression can start to set in. I know a lot of people deal with seasonal depression. I know a lot of people deal with issues about not being able to see the sun or not being here... There's multiple different modes and methods and means of this. If you know that you deal with seasonal depression, you need to let your body, your community know, not the whole thing. You don't need to sit up here, hey, everybody, just so you know, Christmas time is coming. It's really hard for me. I need help. No. Coming up, coming up to those people that you've been invested in. And how do you get to know people on a more intimate level is being involved in a discipleship. We, this is a large group. To break down this large group, we've got to get into smaller groups. It's in these smaller discipleship groups that we can build interpersonal relationships, that we get to know each other, that I can see your demeanor. I can see when you're happy. I can see when you're sad. I can see when you're angry. That is how it works. And then you tell those people, I just want to let you know, this time of the year, I I kind of spiral downward. Unless you tell us this, we can't help you. Unless you tell the bodies of Christ, the members of this body, This is what I'm dealing with. We can't help. So you've got to die to selfish ambition. You've got to not think about yourself. You got to think, I want to be able to allow and afford the other Christians to help serve me as well. Because when you step up and you say this, yes, you're being vulnerable, but two, you're allowing the other Christian to step up and to help and to do what they're called to do as well. So if I keep everything inward, and I never allow anyone to help out. I am depriving my Christians, brothers and sisters, of their ability and their command to obey God's word. We have to help each other out. 
We have to intervene. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. This is why we need to be helping each other out. <clears throat> Let no one seek his own good, but what? But the good of his neighbor. If I stop caring about myself as much as I do, and I actually gave 10% of what I reflect on myself and I actually care about someone else just a little bit more, that would be a huge game changer. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. In James chapter 3, verse 16, think about this. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will also be disorder in every vile practice. Moving forward prevents this from happening. It prevents jealousy and selfish ambition of promoting myself to the detriment of others. And it usually starts this, look, he's, she's a great person. Don't get me wrong, I like her a lot. But she is awful at gift wrapping. We cannot promote ourselves while downplaying others. Did you know what they're dealing with? If someone comes to you and they're vulnerable and they ask for help, don't go and air that laundry out to everybody else. You help them out. Now, if it gets to a point in which it's beyond your control and you're like, I don't know how to handle this, then you come to the leadership of the church. Then you come to the leadership of Crossroads and say, hey, I can't give you specifics, but I think you need to go and talk to this individual. I think you need to maybe, maybe they need some pastoral counseling. We have to prevent jealousy and not just jealousy of each other and everything else and their accomplishments, but jealousy that that person seems much better off than I am when in fact you don't know what they're struggling with and you don't know what they're dealing with. And selfish ambition is me putting myself first and me thinking about myself and I'm promoting myself to the detriment of others and you don't know what they're dealing with. So practical practice, here, here we go. If you're dealing with this or if you find yourself entering into a season of depression or you find yourself in sadness, I'm going to show you a practical way that you can start today, tomorrow, to incorporate in your devotional life, to incorporate if someone says to you, I'm dealing with this and you're not, do this with them. Here we go. In Psalms chapter one, all right, the Psalms is just a beautiful, a beautiful picture of how you can use the book of Psalms to combat this. If you look at Psalms chapter one, verse two, here we go. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on this law, he meditates day and night. We must bring our thoughts off of ourselves, our situation, our feelings, and we must fill our minds with the only thing that can overcome this, and that's the word of God. And if you are being asked to help someone, that is what you need to be doing. Don't be reading self-help psychology books from read the word of God to them, specifically within the psalm. So if you've got your Bibles, I think it'll be up here. Look at Psalm 1. Perfect. All right, here we go. I want us to identify the mindset of a person who is reflecting on God. Let's look at this real quick. One, I see they will be blessed. Two, they will delight in God. Three, they reflect on God day and night. Now, here's what follows, and this is all in this passage here. When you do this, this is what follows. You will be planted. Now, think about this. When you see the word, you will be planted. He is like a tree planted. Do trees plant themselves? No. When you seek after God and you meditate on day and night, this is a byproduct of what will happen. God will plant you by streams of water. A tree doesn't plant itself. If you ever go out into the desert, you're not going to see a random tree in the middle of nowhere. A tree has to be planted there. And typically, if a tree is planted there, 
by a seed or something else, it's near water. We are planted, we will be planted by streams of waters. Look at this. It will yield fruit in its season. Even when you don't feel it, you are still growing. Now think about this. Why do trees yield fruit? Do trees yield fruit and be like, man, that's an awesome apple. I'm going to eat that apple. Trees yield fruit for the benefit of others, for the propagation of the species. So when the verse is saying here, you will yield fruit in its season, the fruit of the spirit that you are yielding, the meekness, humility, and humbleness that you are yielding is for the benefit of other people, not of yourself. And that is what this psalm is saying. The leaf does not wither. Here's encouraging here. In the darkest hour, you are not alone and you're not without hope. And all that he does, he prospers. Regardless of the situation you find yourself in, you will be brought through the season that you are currently facing right now. This is a hope that I find in Psalms chapter one. And when we approach Psalms chapter one, that is what I like to do. What is being said here? Any Psalms, what is being said here? Typically within the book of Psalms, you see the godly individual and then the, weak, the, the wicked individual. But what we're focusing on as we're looking at this is what is happening within the context of this verse? Is there fear and anguish? Is there trauma and troubling? Or is this positive and rejoicing? Because typically if you're reading the book of Psalms, it's like a wave that's constantly ebbing and flowing. And if you look at the historical context about what is happening within this book of Psalms, it's written by many different people, but primarily it's written by David, King David. And if you want to look at a person who should be depressed, who gets betrayed, who gets exiled, who's just constantly out, floating out in the breeze by himself, that's David. David had every excuse, but using the approach of the Psalms, you can help combat this. Let's look at Psalms chapter six. Let's do this with another one. If we look at Psalms chapter six, look at this. Look at the state of David emotionally. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Something's happened, right? Something has happened here. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Languishing. He is in a deep state of turmoil. He is just broken. Heal me, O Lord. He is asking the Lord to heal him. O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. As we look at this, in verse 2, David asks God for his gracious mercy and love. In verse 3, David is hurting down to his soul and asks God, how long? Notice the brokenness and the sadness he feels. He asks God to be saved. He repeats back in verse 5, he repeats back to God a promise that he knows to be true. In verse 6, he still does not feel that relief. But why? He already asked God for help. Shouldn't he be feeling relief? It's not yet. He repeats God to promise he knows to be true. Verse 6, he does not get relief and is broken. Verse 7, the grief is continually building. But notice where David's attention is in verse 7. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Look where his attention is though. He reminds himself in verse 8 that the Lord hears him. For the Lord hears my soul. Verse 9, David reminds himself that the Lord hears and accepts our prayers to him. And then in verse 10, here's what's awesome. Look at verse 10. There's a boldness that comes out. Even when David is sad and broken and depressed, David has hope. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Even though he doesn't feel like it's working, even though he doesn't feel like God is there, he knows what is true because he has been repeating back to God the promises that God has previously revealed to David throughout his life. Let's look at Psalms chapter 7. Here's what's interesting. This is written by the psalmist. 
The psalmist in verse 1 finds refuge in God and asks for saving. In verses 2 through 17, here's what's interesting. If you look all through verses 2 through 17, the psalmist turns a corner from anxiety about a situation to a known assurance he has from God. And he repeats back to God what he knows God will do for him. Notice what we're doing here systematic through the book of Psalms. We're identifying the state of the psalmist. We're seeing the problems that the psalmist is going through. And we're seeing where he is consistently turning his attention and reflection back onto. He's repeating back to God the promises of God. And he's repeating back to himself what he knows to be true. But yet, what's interesting though, is he continually is going to God. Let's look at Psalms chapter 9. If you look at verse 1 in Psalms chapter 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of your wonderful deeds. David is looking back at what God has done in his life. When I'm going through these bouts of sadness and depression, instead of me focusing right here on what it is that I'm going through, I need to look back on the times that God has been faithful. He's always faithful. I just don't always see it. And I need to remind myself, man, look at what God has gotten me through with this. Look at who God has given to me in this season. Look at what God is doing in this part. But now I'm entering the season of, I'm not sure where I'm at. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I need to remind myself and reflect back on what God has already done for me. And God is faithful. God is immutable. God never changes. And if that is what he's going to do for me, I know that whatever this is happening, it's for a reason. And I know that eventually this will end one way or another. Verse 2, he praises the name of God. Look at that. I will be glad and I will exalt in you. Verse 9, here's what's awesome. I love this verse. Verse 9. The Lord is our stronghold in times of trouble. He is our stronghold in times of trouble. And then in verse 10, we continually place our trust in God, in his control. And then in verse 13, we ask God for his mercy. So how can I practically combat this on a day-to-day basis? Open the book of Psalms. Start in Psalms chapter 1. And just go and go and go until the Lord picks up your spirit. What am I looking for within these Psalms? You're looking for the state or the mind of the individual. You're looking at the metaphorical usage that the writer is using. You're looking at what you know from other places in Scripture to come to that understanding and that understanding and that reason for this. And as you're looking through this, you see the state of mind. You see the state of affairs. You see the heartache. You see the brokenness. You see the pain. You see the trauma. You see the sadness. But it never completely destroys the psalmist and pushes him down to a point in which he can't come out of it. It's because he turns back to the Word of God and he is filling his mind with the Word of God and the promises of God. And if you're a believer and if you're a Christian, you have that understanding. You have that knowledge. And sometimes I need someone to come alongside of me and someone to read a psalm to me. So if someone comes to you and says this, and you're like, I don't know how to handle that. Open up the book of Psalms and just start reading. And then just saying, do you think that this is true? Even though you don't feel this way, I want to tell you that this is true. Even if you may not feel like it right now, I'm telling you that God is in control. Even if it doesn't seem like it right now, God is still here and you are still one of his children. Remember this, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So as we're looking at this passage in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, let me read this again. Now that we've unpacked all of this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if we were to encourage anyone through the name of Christ, if there's any comfort from love or participation in the spirit, that's what we're doing together. If there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. This is the apostle Paul saying to the church that you will complete my joy, but we as Christians are supposed to be completing others' joys by being of the same mind, behaving or having the same love, being in full accord, having that sympathy and that connectivity and that consolation with one another. And of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition. That's just not me being selfish, but that's not me holding something in and not allowing and affording the opportunity for someone else to come in and speak positivity through the word of God in my life or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Talking to each other, getting to know each other, and building relationships with each other. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have got to stop being inward-facing, inward-reflecting, self-glorification, selfish-ambitious individuals because that leads us to a state of self-isolation, of sadness, and depression. And when I combat this, and I look to other interests, and I look to others' problems, and I look to others' situations, I will have this mind among all of us. We will all have this mind And this verse comes with a promise. We can have this mind and we can have this community because it is ours in Christ Jesus. We are members of a body. We talk about community and community is so much more than just having coffee with one another. Community is so much more than me just asking how your day is going. That's a start. But community, I'm talking true biblical community, is going through the pain and suffering with one another. When you have gone through a traumatic situation with someone, there is a connectivity that happens that no one else can understand. There is a closeness that can happen that no one else can understand. Except for someone who's been there and who's done that, and that someone that can relate. And we as Christians need to be that for each other. Because the commonality that unites all of us is who we have living inside of us. And we have to stop being so selfish and start asking about the needs of others. And start asking and inquiring how each person is doing. Because the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful outline about what this looks like. So how can we combat depression with darkness? And it is through community. It is through true biblical church community. And how can we help each other out? Go through the book of Psalms together. Read a Psalm. If this is just you and you're still not at that point where you want to ask for help, you need to ask for help. You cannot do this on your own. You are not supposed to do this on your own that is why we gather together not just to hear the word of God proclaimed but to do life together to have community have commonality with one another because of what unites us all together let's pray dear heavenly father God thank you for your word thank you for the consolation we have in you thank you for what you've done for us thank you what you continue to do for us God and I pray for every single person in this room Every person in this room I know has suffered at one point in time with sadness or depression or self-isolation or they are currently facing that. God, I ask for your supernatural healing to come into this group 
to come into this community. God, break us out of our own minds of the self-inward reflecting circle that we get in God and let us die to selves. Let us stop being selfish and let us ask each other and let us build relationships with each other and let us grow deeper in life through your word together, God. I ask for everyone in this room, God, that you will fill them with your spirit, that you will give them that comfort and that love. God, you can comfort. You are the great comforter, Father. You can fill us with peace and we ask these things in your name. We ask these things in expectancy, God. Be with us. Help us. Illuminate the scriptures to us. Give us a desire to be in the scriptures. Give us a desire to be with each other, God. I ask you for your healing in this room. There's pain and there's hurt and there's suffering right now in this room. God, comfort that individual. Let them know that you're there. Let them know that you're there from an individual just coming up and just wrapping their arms and saying, I love you and I want to pray for you or I want to do life with you, God. You have given us the command. You have given us the ability to help each other out. We ask for the obedience to follow that and the boldness to follow that and the conviction to follow that, Father. I just thank you so much. I pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Now, I want to close with this. This is something that you're dealing with. And this is something that you want to talk to somebody about. We've got several of our leaders here. We, we want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. But at the same time, I also want to encourage you, get involved in a small group or a discipleship group. You've got to be involved. Because when life hits you square in the face and you don't have a church family to lean back on, I don't know where you're going to go. We are here for you. We are a family. So if you need to talk to somebody today, if you need someone just to pray with you and you don't feel comfortable unloading everything, just find one of the leaders. We've got several leaders in the back here. Find one of us. We would love to talk with you. We would love to work through this with you. I, I genuinely mean this. We love you all so much that you cannot and you should not do life by yourself. I know tonight was heavy, but I, I feel a weight of heaviness all over the place. This is the, the time and the culture and the life in which we live. All right, with that, go in peace in the knowledge of who God is. And if you need help, let us know if you want to get involved in discipleship.